Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, Mark here. Welcome to episode two of the Grow Your Site mini-series. This week, we're running a special series called Grow Your Site, and we have a value-packed episode for you today. We're discussing how to scale epic content production. Every day this week, we're releasing a new episode in this mini-series, and they can all be found at authorityhacker.com forward slash grow. You'll also find show notes, links, as well as other useful information and bonus content at that URL. All the other episodes are there too. The tactics discussed in this mini-series are equally relevant to someone who's just starting out as they are to someone with a healthy Amazon affiliate site and even all the way up to big six, seven, eight-figure authority sites in big niches. Also, if you haven't already done so, please be sure to sign up for our five steps to start and scale your own fleet of highly profitable authority sites training webinar. We're running it this Sunday, that's the 14th of May at 8 p.m. London, which is 3 p.m. New York. And if you go to authorityhacker.com forward slash training, you can sign up there. It's completely free. There's a ton of value in there. Much of it never been seen before. So make sure to sign up ASAP. We've had a lot of people sign up since yesterday, and we may have to limit the number of people that can sign up if things continue at this rate. So if you want to be sure to get in, then go to authorityhacker.com forward slash training. It takes two seconds to sign up. It's completely free. So without further ado, let's get on with today's show. So today's podcast is titled Scaling Great Content. We actually initially called it Scaling Content, but I changed the name to Scaling Great Content because, well, if you think about it, scaling content, which is kind of average, is pretty easy, actually. You mean like take articles from other people, spin them in the best spinner and post it on your site? No, I'm not talking about (laughs) 2011 scaling content. But even like when you think about it, so... There's a lot of sites out there. They will spend a decent amount of time doing some keyword research and come up with a list of keywords. And then all they'll do is they'll go to an agency or text broker or even like hire a a, a writer who may actually be a great writer, but they'll just say, here's 100 keywords, write 500 word articles about each of them. And then they won't even check it. They'll publish it. Uh, They'll maybe check the first couple, run it through Copyscape or something, which which is easy. But then just publish it straight away or even have the writer publish it. And there's no kind of editorial quality control. It's just, it's bad. And like inevitably what happens is after an initial period, the writer sort of loses a bit of motivation and the quality kind of drops. And then you end up with like a pretty average site, which doesn't really intrigue or, you know, excite your, your audience. And that sucks. Yeah, we're learning the hard way on health ambition, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've made this mistake on health ambition. I was basically exactly what we did. Just uh, give a writer some keywords and publish it without reading it too much. Um, and to some extent for SEO, it can work, right? One thing I want to say is like, you could maybe rank with that. I mean, we did rank people- with that, but it, it's, a, it's like yeah. the difference between no content and I'd rather have some content than no content. But if it, this is the difference between good content and great content, really. Yeah, but the thing is, like, even if you rank, the people that rank on the article realize it's garbage and never convert, never end up buying the products or never end up opting into your email list or trusting you or whatever. Yeah. So even if you can rank in Google and, you know, 
eventually get some kind of result from average content. Increasing the quality increases your bottom line a lot. And we see it a lot, especially with like our affiliate articles, which repeat a lot of caring. And I think you're going to mention what we yeah. do exactly. And not only uh, that, but with oh. uh, link building as well. So when you're building great info content to try and build links to, the people who you're outreaching to, other bloggers who more often than not know what they're talking about and can can tell the difference between a good and a great article, they're much more receptive when you you have great content. That's a good point, actually. I think a lot of people are stuck on link building because their content is terrible. Yep. And their site is terrible, not because, like, you know, they're looking for the perfect outreach template. And, you know, we'll talk about that in its own podcast. But it's not the outreach template. That's the issue is the actual website and the quality of the content. So let's just jump into it rather than teasing okay. it now. So, I mean, the reason I bring this up, say, like, scaling content is easy. Scaling average content is easy. Scaling great content is very difficult. Is because we actually, you and I talk a lot about the Pareto principle, like the 80-20 rule. And, you know, only, like, doing the 20% of things which yields 80% of results. And in many cases, in fact, in most cases, that's absolutely the rule to live by. But it, and we'll talk about this with uh, link building on, on Thursday, actually, mm-hmm. how we, we use this rule. But when it comes to producing content, that's not going to cut it, I'm afraid. The internet is full, like full of 80% good content, which is, you know, uninspiring, mediocre. It's like doesn't really get noticed. What yeah, I mean, I think, I think like the return on content is <clears throat> exponentially higher as you get to the top percentile of quality in your industry um, for sure so you know the 80 20 is biased in that way it's still true right but 80 percent of the value is concentrated in the top 20 20 percent or even 10 percent right yeah even five percent so, of top so if you want if you want to get 80 percent of the value you still need to be in the 90 95 percentile yeah of best content of your industry and so that's how you apply 8020. It's just it's biased because the value is not distributed linearly. And anyone that hates mass, just cut that podcast right now. So, um, <laughs> uh, no, but, it makes uh, sense. I mean, basically, like the, the best <laughs> content gets the vast majority of the, the sales, the income, the, re- the revenue. Yeah. So you, you and have the links. Be, yeah, for Most sure. Probably, I think it starts well. with the links and the shares, and then it ends up being rankings and it ends up being sales, essentially. Exactly. And it just it drips down into every other part of your site when you're talking about links, like your skyscraper content does well, then that makes your money pages rank and you make more money, etc. It's like a big snowball, you know. But the one sort of principle I wanted to just go over before we start going through some ways in which we have scaled content in the in the past and are currently doing actually is this principle, and we talk about this in the authority site system, about doing it yourself first. Doing the first, if you're starting a new site, doing at least the first 10 pieces of content yourself, like fully end to end. And a lot of people are kind of, they're a bit resistant to, to this because they, they've, you know, read the four hour work week and they just want to hire people straight away and outsource, outsource, outsource and sit on a beach drinking pina coladas all day. Well, I mean, the truth is it's, there's a yeah. reason, there's a reason actually nobody's doing that. And it's because you really have to be a little bit more involved, especially at the start of things. You need to, like you and I, Gail, I think it's fair to say we are not health experts by any stretch of the imagination. Don't call yourself. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We have no qualifications or experience or anything like this uh, in, in the field. I mean, we're like borderline overweight or at least we're average, like, 
in shape guys, you know, like und- when we started Health Ambition, like we didn't have a clue. Yeah. One of the things which you have to do is you have to get involved in that in that niche. So like there was a time when you and I both bought juicers and were like mm-hmm. experimenting with all sorts of different recipes and doing this day in, day out. And we really like started to to get it. We understood the space, the juicing space. And that was sort of the springboard that allowed us to do a lot of like the ebooks and stuff like that, which we yeah. which we sold very successfully. So my point here is that... You- uh, I, same with supplements, actually. We write a lot about supplements right now, and I've been experimenting personally with a lot of stuff. I've even been correcting some dosage in, in some articles, etc., with the editor. Yeah. So, you know, we do, it's, it's true, like you, we do get involved to some extent in what we're doing. And it's so crucial because, I mean, it's going back to the, the 80-20 thing, but like it's so easy to just output mediocre content that you really need to be you can't just outsource something and get great content even if you pay writers uh, a lot of money chances are you get the same average content back if you don't understand it fully and you don't ask for it in the right way and the right structure so that actually brings me on to like our first kind of main topic uh, which we're going to discuss today is around content templates and you can't really create these until you, you've sort of written a few yourself and you have a bit of a feel for it. I mean, what is a content template? It's basically, it's just, I don't know how you would describe it, a document which outlines the structure you'd like of a specific type of article. And it will also include some information about the background of the website, language description like how you phrase certain things and who writes if there's a persona as well like who the target audience is all that it's kind of like a it's kind of like a business plan a mini business plan for specific types of content and actually categorizing these types of content or breaking your content up into different different structures is it can be a little bit difficult but there's a few examples so like on health emission A lot of our content at the moment is what we call the best X for Y content. That means we have articles like best multivitamins for women over 40. We have best probiotics for weight loss. So one of the examples of the the structure, types of structure content we use, especially in health ambition, would be best X for Y content. Just to give you a couple of examples there, it would be what is the best fish oil supplements for bodybuilding athletes and runners? Or what is the best vegan and amino acids? What are the best vegan and amino acids? It's like the best product for a specific situation. So those are the two kind of variables. But everything else about this content is follows a very, very similar structure. In fact, identical structure. So I'll just sort of walk you through briefly what one looks like. And all of this structure is sort of guided or informed through the content templates which we've created so for example they all start with like a little bit of an introduction on the on the topic so it's about if it's about fish oil then it it would talk about you know i don't know health benefits of omega-3 like just very briefly like introduce house weight loss etc yeah introduce a bit science in there that kind of thing we'll then present the top five products which we're reviewing uh we pull most of these from amazon but it doesn't really matter where that's really just kind of like the the initial summary and then we'll explain what the the product actually does so like why is this like what does fish what does fish oil do or what do amino acids actually do for you then we'll go into a sort of explainer section where we're talking about 
what to look for, what you should look for when you're buying one. So that's how to select the best product. We'll then explore individually the top five products which we've chosen. So we'll you know, have a little introduction to explain the product, the company maybe, give it some star ratings, give it a little bit of commentary. If there's any pros and cons, maybe we'll have a list of that as well. And then after we've explored all the five products, we'll then go into a conclusion where we're saying, okay, this is the this is the best one we recommend. You for that situation, yeah. Yeah, for, for that situation. <clears throat> and it's really powerful to pick a specific situation, like, you know, stuff for weight loss or whatever. Because that's what allows us to create interesting content that is more fit to the reader than like best amino acids, for example. Like, yeah. it, it's like these things, they're, they're definitely like there, there is a lot of sub niches, etc. And the best X for Y allows you to be more specific. And Google loves that. It ranks really well, actually. The challenge is finding, you know, the keywords that have that are not competitive and that have enough search volume for this but quite powerful template actually for sure but like all of those like sections or subsections which i mentioned those are constant it doesn't matter what the product is or what the sub niche or people it's for they're constant so by providing this structure in a, a document which all our writers get first of all it makes all of our content consistent across so if two different writers are writing similar articles you know the output's going to look very much the same and we'll know we'll sort of expect what we can get back to be the same each time it also though allows us to like once a writer can write one they can write the rest easily so once they know how to do this properly they just okay we can actually can give them 100 keywords or 500 keywords and they can just go and produce 500 more that's not to say like we we obviously still check these and there's a there's a learning process there, but what, when there's a structure to follow, it's much easier for the writers to just sort of fill in the fill in the gaps with the information rather than kind of conceptualize it and stuff in their heads about what should go first and should I explain this or recommend this first and and that kind of thing. So it just makes it much easier and much more streamlined. I don't know for a fact if this is true, but I'm pretty sure companies like BuzzFeed, that's the one, you know, they always have the like the 10 things you should, everyone yeah. from this city should know about. For sure, they have the uh, content templates, which are the same. They follow a very similar flow pattern. And uh, in fact, I think most probably big sites like that who are, who are scaling content uh, probably. I mean, a lot of the templates there is in Atari Hacker Pro, like we actually provide these templates in Atari Hacker Pro are inspired by you know other websites and and you know we kind of like identify the content format that keeps coming back then you know find 10 20 sites that do the same and then kind of like put our own template together test it with our writers refine it and then just put in notary hacker so you know we don't just come up with these things it's it's also heavily inspired by our scouring of the internet for sure if you're an H Pro member, go to the template library and uh, and get these. Or in fact, there's a whole blueprint about how to use them. Yeah. But it's it's super useful. But it's not it's not just about the structure of the content. It's also uh, so it's like not just what the public sees, but it's the the kind of deeper kind of uh, positioning information which a writer, be it your current writer or a new writer coming on board, needs to know in order to write according to the the, the right tone and language and, and whatnot of your site. So for Health Ambition, for example, we use a persona. Helen Sanders is the author, so it's a pen name. It's a person doesn't exist. And so like her background information is in there. So whenever we have a ghostwriter writing as Helen, they're going to 
keep the same information so like how many children she has how old she is you know her college history or whatever you know we don't go into like super advanced details there's a couple paragraphs but the positioning is the same and that's the important thing also important is who your audience is so if your audience is older say in age the way in which you're writing would would probably vary quite a lot or if they're very tech savvy it would vary quite a lot so having this information things like how to add images how to add affiliate links which fonts to use if you want to really get into it so it's everyone's using the same h1 h2 h3 structure correctly you know how long your paragraph should be yeah all this kind of stuff it's really important if you want to scale content successfully you're going to have to have at some point multiple writers and having this in there is going to keep everything consistent and even if it's the same writer you know you can all after a while you always refer them back to this and say hey you know like this paragraphs are too long or you're not doing this right and it's just like having that handbook there is so useful to to anyone writing it because it just takes so much thought process out of their brain and they can just focus on as i said before like filling in the gaps with with content and based on the feedback the content you get back from the writers and so on like you get to tweak your templates all the time i know a lot of people like start with our templates but then you know they work with their writers and like oh it would be good if we added that or if we did that etc and eventually their templates end up being unique and different. And that's what I would recommend for anyone that takes a template from someone else that didn't start from scratch mm-hmm. is to you know tweak it as you go. It makes your site more unique, etc. So for example, the Atari Hacker reviews, like we you know the Roundup review, for example, that we've published on keyword tools lately. We have two more coming up, but the format's gonna be very similar. And you know, it was a, a feedback process between me and Lewis, essentially. And that's quite an important point, actually. When your writers are kind of experienced enough or have been, been doing this for a while, then you can actually have them input into the template creation process or template editing process because they'll, you know, if they're writing 100 articles, they're going to have a much more uh, granular understanding of it than, than perhaps you will. So that's an important thing to remember as well. The other thing as well is when you're doing anything at scale, like a lot of people sort of take the point, well, it might take me a couple of hours to, to write a template. I, I don't really have time for that. The amount of time you save from having these is like almost incalculable. Back in the day, it would take something like an hour or so to edit a piece of content on Health Ambition, sometimes longer, sometimes sometimes less, but something like an hour. Now it takes our editor about 10 minutes because everything is consistent and it's it's the same and it's following one of several types of uh, content briefs. Yeah, and the writers know what to expect now because it's always the same format too. Exactly. And that saves so much time, like 50 minutes per article times 500 articles. That's like a 50-something yeah. full days of work. Um, saving which which we don't have to to endure anymore so these are the kind of things you need to think about when you're scaling uh, scaling with content and I think that having content templates is probably one of the best things we've ever done for for the in that regard at least now that's That's what the that's one of the first things we do for new sites right now actually like figuring out these and then and then after scaling yeah, and we follow the exact same process. We take the H Pro template, we tweak it for, for what we think it's going to be. We run the site for a little bit, and then we talk to the writers, we figure out uh, what needs to change, we do a bit of a review, and then we, we go further again, and then we keep tweaking. So it's like it's constantly evolving. 
But yeah, so the next thing I want to talk about is about hiring writers. It seems to be a question that comes up quite a lot. And we actually did a podcast on this a few weeks ago in, in quite a lot of detail. So you can also check that one out. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes, uh, authorityhacker.com slash grow. The same kind of rule applies to hiring writers as content. Like hiring average writers is easy. In most niches, that is. Hiring good writers is very, 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 very difficult. And it's one of the things that can really make or break your site. Uh, if you do this wrong, you're going to be in a world of pain, honestly. We, we've had some pretty horrific situations in the past. But now uh, I'm just really, really happy with, with everyone we have on board at the moment. So, so that's good. Um, we just decided to not make compromises, I think. It's, basically. It's something that yeah. we, we would do a lot more. Before. I would I would rather not hire a writer and wait six months finding the right person than hire someone just to fill a perceived role, you know? It's it's that important. Um, Same with the authority hacker hiring. Like, for example, for the writer we were hiring, the writer position we advertised, so mm-hmm. you might have heard it. Like, you know, at some point we were considering hiring no one, you know. So yep. it's not nice, but uh, the no compromise, I, I think it pays off eventually. Yep. Um, so the first question a lot of people ask us, and this comes up a lot in the AH Pro Facebook group, is people say, how much should I pay my writers? And you ask 50 different people this question, you get 50 different responses. My view, and this isn't like the world view, this is my personal view, is that after the bare minimum, which I would say is around 2.5 cents per word. So after you get above that rate, there's little to no correlation between um, how much you're paying and the quality you're getting back. This is very niche dependent, mind you. So I'm, I'm talking in very broad terms here. We generally pay our writers something like three to six cents per word. Depends on the niche, depends on a hundred other different factors, of course. But that's a, that's a rough, rough indication. It's a supply and demand thing of nothing else. Popular niches, especially some which are difficult to monetize, like health being one of them. There seems to be a lot of writers out there just because there's a lot of people who are interested in the topic but aren't, don't have their own websites uh, talking about it. So they're looking, people looking for work there. Complex skills, like uh, complex niches, like uh, law or medicine or I don't know, like some kind of engineering, I guess, rocket science, that kind of stuff you're going to pay way, way, way more. I've never, we don't have any sites in those kind of niches, so I can't really give you too much advice on that. I mean, this is like kind of like good news, bad news situation. Like the good news is that you you can actually get writers for, for very, 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 very cheap, which can make it much easier for you to turn a profit and much easier to scale. Again, the difference between paying three cents and four cents, you know, that's a, what, 33% increase. So you, you multiply that out by 500 or 1,000 pieces of content at 1,000 words each. You know, you're, I didn't do the math for this one, so I don't know, but you're, uh, you're spending a hell of a lot more money on that. So getting someone good is important, but as is getting someone for the right price, um, yeah. you, can, you can scale on. We just got all the math haters back. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's expensive to, to, to pay for writers, and it's worth just taking the time to find the right person. I it's think. probably, I think it's our biggest expense, right? Uh, yeah, by far. Yeah, I yeah. think one thing that saved us quite a bit of money as well is as we scale, because we're talking about scaling here, is offering full-time contracts to people in exchange for a discount on the you know, per-word rate you know, uh, in terms of projection. For sure. And that, that's a kind of like a balanced thing you, you always look at. Like um, if you're able to offer someone job stability, 
you can command a more reasonable price than a freelancer who you can hire and fire at a moment's notice and maybe like start and stop things because you know people they still have to spend time finding work and that's you know that time is money so they need to make that up by increased rates so having full-time writers is definitely something which we've we've done a lot a lot of recently and that's helped us uh, to keep our costs uh, reasonable at least yeah i mean you don't need to like have a massive content budget to hire a writer full-time as well like people imagine you need to make five figures a month something i'd say it'd be great if you made like mid four figures a month to scale but you know if you're really into growth right you can just take all your money and invest in content it's not a bad idea and then spend your time on link building and and, and you'll grow and like you know you can hire a pretty good writer for like you know two thousand dollars a month even a lot like i'm not saying everyone would say yes so people will say no but you know we have hired very good people for that rate so and they were like you know americans and stuff so that's something to consider yeah i mean like with the with the price thing as well you have to consider where someone lives uh, where someone's from and uh, and all that you know someone's living in manhattan they're gonna need uh, a lot more money than if someone's living on a beach in argentina for example that's something you can look for as well but I want to talk about like the our process or like how we go about hiring writers or how you should go about hiring good writers in order to scale your business. I think what Gail mentioned first was probably a good good uh, thing to start with actually. You said that or you didn't you kind of alluded to it like we often start by hiring freelancers for our sites and then as they start to to grow we then hire often those same people we hire them as uh, uh, full-time and get a substantial discount like as well. Yeah, so that's when like economies of scale really start to uh, to kick in. So how do we hire good writers? Having good content briefs is the most important thing to, to start with because you can often hire a good writer, but if you don't have a good content brief or you're not ordering the content correctly from them, you won't know that they're a good writer because what you're getting back is not in line with your expectations. So get your content brief sorted first. I think also one thing about the content briefs is they allow you to reduce the amount of time you spend managing them, you know? So then you can literally just focus on keywords and be like, match the keyword with the content brief you want and then have them right versus, you know, having to explain your vision for the piece of content every time, which definitely is a problem on Atari Hacker and we need more templates. Because, hmm. uh, like, you know, when we write an, an article with Perrin, it's very custom, but, like, you know, there's, sometimes there's a two-hour chat or phone call just about the concept of the piece and that can be quite complicated so yeah i definitely it's it's massive in terms of saving you time because employees do take a lot of time to manage properly right so i want to talk now about the hiring funnel and i think of this in the same way as i think of like a sales funnel you know you get someone on your site then you get their email address then you send them to a landing page then they buy this then they upsell them that that kind of thing so it's like a, a, a giant funnel it starts obviously with the uh, job ad that allows you to get uh, a number of job applications in you then go through the second stage is you go through some basic filtering so that's basically uh, excluding everyone who's obviously not a match you know in our case someone who's not a native english speaker 99 percent of the time we would kick them out at that point the third stage of the hiring funnel would then be some kind of like more advanced questions or some basis of comparison. So if you're asking someone like what their motivations are or 
to ask them like a specific question about the topic. So like, what's your favorite juicing recipe or something like that. But you, the point is you ask the same questions to everyone to, to, to then compare people more. And it's, this is like your second stage of filtering. So then the fourth stage of the hiring funnel is, would be a test article. I'll talk a bit more about this in a second, but it can be paid or it can be free. Depends. But the, the key thing here is to give everyone the same article to write. That allows you to compare everyone. To, and then you can interview people if you want. We actually, for freelance positions, we don't usually interview people. For full-time positions, we, we do. For um, some sites, we do this more than others. And then hire the good ones. I do mean ones, plural, because some will quit in the first three months. If, he, if someone makes it past the first three months, uh, they're usually good for you know multiple years. But it's that first three months is the danger period when people sort of don't realize you're not a good fit for them or maybe they, they have other work as well that they're, they're not, they don't have time for it or something like that. So it can be a bit of an issue. But I, I would just go through these very briefly um, and talk a little bit more about them, how to maximize them. So the, the job ad, probably the most important part, actually, because if you don't get any applications, then... Um, you're you're kind of stuck anyway. You can't do the can't do the rest of the process. I actually did a AH Pro webinar about our exact process for doing this on Upwork, and I showed two two examples. One was like a in the same industry from roughly similar profiles, and this was another health blog which had posted a job ad, and this was ours. And ours actually had ten times the number of applicants which the previous one had. So and there's a, a few like simple things about about that. Basically, be a bit personal, introduce yourself, talk about your, your kind of grand vision, like talk about who you are, give your name, name drop in there. I think that's quite a big thing. One little hack I always use is for the next stage, which is filtering. If someone's not writing dear Mark or hi Mark on their application or their cover letter, then I instantly discount them because they haven't read the job ad that, where my name's on there. They've just copied and pasted their application thing. This is particularly prevalent on uh, Upwork. So something to to bear in mind there, and then just really go through what you're looking for. Uh, you know, on Upwork, I, I specify how much we're willing to pay, and uh, how many we're gonna, how many articles per week or per month or whatever we're gonna order. Um, express the consistency of everything, and then just list out some of the key points I'm I'm looking for. I don't go into too much of the like HR world, like oh you must be a team player and that kind of stuff. I, I don't really buy into that, so I try and keep keep it a little more succinct and uh, and just ask for the most important things I'm looking for. And I think writers appreciate that. So I mean, where do we post our job ads? I mentioned Upwork. It's free to post there. And they have like a hiring workflow you can you can use, which can be quite useful. The other place we use at the moment is uh, ProBlogger. So they have a jobs, I think it's ProBlogger.com now, or jobs.ProBlogger.com. Yeah, yeah it is. So they have a um, jobs board on there, so you can post the job ad. It's 70 bucks or I think 140 if you want a featured listing, which lasts for 30 days. Uh, we did a featured listing on Health Ambition recently and got 600 applications, which is insane. It was too many. It took us ages to go through them. So, you know, your mileage may vary, but I'd, I'd highly recommend that. Text broker can work. A text broker is actually the textbook, no pun intended, case of why you need to have good templates because what happens on text broker is you end up working with, like the, the writers you're assigned are random and you end up working with new writers every time unless you end up recruiting uh, them. When you do open orders. Yeah. 
at the start, but unless you start recruiting them into into your team and stuff, which I which am. you should do on text broker, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the point is, it, it can work if you have these kind of templates and you're prepared for it. But personally, in my experience, I just know ProBlogger. I know the I know how to hire writers really well now, and it's much easier for me to do that when I have a a much when I can ask my own questions to them and put them through my own hiring process rather than just kind of experimenting with them um, as a text broker. Some people ask about agencies. Perrin uses one. I would recommend against using an agency. I think at the end of the day, they're just middlemen. If you, if you don't have any experience in hiring, then it can actually be beneficial to, to use them. But if you follow some simple instructions, like in this podcast or in the writer hiring one, then you're basically doing what agencies do. But like... Uh, it- yeah, I was just going to say, this example shows that you can do things differently. Because I built the AutoSite system site with TextBroker. It's not the most groundbreaking content, but it worked. Mm-hmm. And I built a team there. You're definitely more about Upwork and ProBlogger. And Turin uses an agency. And we're all doing okay. I mean, like the, the AutoSite system site is actually doing pretty well right now. Yeah, that's that's true. I would counter that by saying that um, you know the number of full time writers who I've hired and the number of write the the amount of content which they've produced at scale is much much higher than yes. um, for in those examples. Oh so. uh, well, I mean Perrin actually you know produced a lot of content for hip hop, not nearly as much as we did for Health Ambition. Yeah, still, like it's a decent scale to it as a success you know let us know in the comments guys what uh, <laughs> what platform <laughs> you guys prefer authorityhacker.com slash grow um you can uh drop us a comment there and if you're a age pro platinum member do check out my webinar i did i think it was over a year ago now about it has all our job templates and stuff in there no i think it's a little bit less than it i think it's seven months or something okay then that's the job ad now i want to talk quickly about filtering um, so I mentioned before, if someone's saying "Dear Mark," then I would, and they're from uh, an English-speaking country, then I'll almost always uh, move them through this stage. If someone, those are the first two things I look for. If someone's from Nigeria and they say "Dear Sir," it's ninety-nine point nine percent of the time I'm discounting them at this stage. Just that's the way it is. I'm sorry. Bad grammar is another thing to look for. If someone has small lowercase eyes. Starting their sentences, or uses too many commas, um, which you use a lot, Gail. Why, why are you Why are you laughing? I don't get it. Gail uses an insane number of commas. <laughs> it's like uh, he 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 doesn't. This his MacBook doesn't have a full stop, so he oh. just uses commas all the time instead. Uh, a custom cover letter, so is is also something good to look out for here. Like if someone's really read your site and say, oh, "I like this article and this article," then they're most likely getting through at uh, this stage. As I said, the first first bit of filtering is just to discount unqualified people. Then you want to make people jump through hoops. It can be in the initial application or it can be through follow-up questions. You're directing them to other um, application forums or something like that. And you basically want to ask a set of questions to everybody. It's the same set of questions to everybody. This can be things about, their, I mentioned before, like about their motivation or quizzing them on their knowledge about the topic that's a really good way to kind of assess people and get a more deeper feel for who you want to then spend a bit more time working with and investigating to see if they would be the right fit so that's the second round of filtering 
I always go through, I mean, everyone who we, we've hired in the last like three years, I think, does test articles. If you're hiring through ProBlogger and you're kind of like an established blog, I would, I don't pay for these test articles. Like the recent Authority Hacker hiring we did, we, we asked people to do that for for free. I mean, we're not publishing this content. We're giving everyone the same exact same article to write so we can compare them easier. But on somewhere like Upwork, just because it's a little bit more impersonal and a lot of people won't have heard, won't necessarily have heard of you. And I don't know, people, uh, freelancers and Upwork, I find can be a bit more jaded because there's a lot of really crappy companies who are hiring people and not treating them very well there. So I like to actually pay for test articles on Upwork just to differentiate ourselves a little bit there. So then actually the test article is one of the most important things for comparing people. And it really gives you an insight into how well they're going to write. It's it's just awesome. And I think everyone should do this when, when hiring writers. As I said before, like interview the the writers who are who are decent. Um, if you're if you're doing like a full time job or, or something which is more than like a couple of articles a week or four articles a week, something like that, more than that. But for Upwork, like a lot of the, a lot of the writers we fired for health ambition, we didn't even interview them. We just okay, you've done the test article, you pass. We'll, we'll three people pass. We'll hire all three of them, and then they start to work. And then after within three months, like two of them had dropped off, and then one was left, and she's actually full time now. And I never actually interviewed her. She's fantastic. So, um, did you ever talk to her on the phone? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that that's an interesting point, actually. Well, this is this uh, kind of like a general hiring tip for any kind of remote online hire is always talk to people on Skype or uh, you know on the phone somehow. It just adds a certain amount of kind of like personal interaction to things. You're not just a random person sending messages to them, and allows you to build a much better relationship with people, which is important if you want to if you want to keep good people. I mean, that's basically the the hiring process. Any other thoughts on that? I mean, you do basically all of it, so I don't have a lot of input on that. Yeah, I just come in and Mark says, "Hey, we have a new writer." That's my contribution to that process. Yeah, um, I, th- I think it's, it's worth <laughs> it's worth mentioning though as well that you know both of us sucked at hiring for a long time. Back in our agency days, you know, like we we didn't really know what we were doing too much, and um, I think the the most important thing, um, which I certainly learned from that, is unless you like really really want to hire this person, don't do it. Like wait hire someone else or wait a period of time and, and put another job ad up rather than hiring someone who's only 90 95% what you want. Uh, look for those 100% people because they are out there. Yeah, the downside of that is it can take a long time to hire. I mean, like, I know, for example, we've been looking for a designer and I'm pretty sure people that see the authority hacker images are desperate for us to have a designer finally. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because... I, I just want to try something. Person. If you're a graphics designer... <laughs> and you want a full-time job working for us we're talking about someone like reasonably junior and affordable not like a 100k a year type person send me an email mark at authorityhacker.com i'd love to hear from you okay. i don't know it's worked before so we'll see yeah we're mixing call to actions here like that's not that's not good for me you know okay that's interesting that's how you scale your content now the problem with scaling content is obviously your costs tend to increase unless you know you were at this point where you were paying your writers a lot 
and you know you get you were already spending quite a bit of money and then you just get a discount and you end up paying more there's the same price which is the situation where we've been on health submission recently mm-hmm. however as you scale your your costs and your content well obviously you need to bring people back and you know i actually had planned um you know kind of breaking down the whole process of you know bringing people like you know using content promotion and social but actually i realized it kind of like eats quite a bit of next podcast which is going to be about actually bringing people back to your site mm-hmm. you know that is definitely like the, the way we promote content right now we use the people that have been back before and we build what we call the snowball of traffic so if you have a, a cold traffic source that can be either social media or search usually you know, new people that discover your site every day and then you have a really good process in bringing them back, then, you know, your traffic has to snowball over time. And that's that's what we're doing right now and that's how we're growing an engaged audience on our website. We don't have to have a ton of fresh traffic every day because we're pretty good at bringing people back. And that's through our content promotion cycle. So we are going to talk about building that snowball of traffic in tomorrow's podcast and uh, it's mostly going to be me talking about that because that is definitely more my thing the marketing side of things thanks for listening to the show today just before we finish up i wanted to remind everyone of the free live training webinar we're running for you this sunday that's sunday 14th of may we're going to be showing you a simple five-step formula to start and scale your own fleet of highly profitable authority sites So if you like today's podcast, you will get a ton of value out of this free live training webinar. Um, To sign up, head on over to authorityhacker.com forward slash training. That's authorityhacker.com forward slash training. And we hope to see you there on Sunday.